jump right back in. We are uh, coming back to Romans, and we are in Romans 15. We uh, have been spending a long time walking through the book of Romans, and we are getting to the, to the last couple of chapters here in this incredible letter uh, to the Roman church from Paul. And uh, we have made our way through um, into the section of Romans that really is application. And so how, how fun to be able to preach uh, as we have uh, heard the gospel laid out in, I would say, the most effective, God-breathed, God-inspired uh, uh, laying out of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the book of Romans as, as he spoke about our sin, as he spoke about uh, Christ's justification for us, as he spoke about um, through the entire first 11 chapters, God's sovereign work in our salvation. Um, now he moves into, in chapters 12 through 16, in light of that, as Romans 12:1 says, considering the mercies of God, how do we now live? How do we now present ourselves as, as a living sacrifice? How do, we, how do we worship the God who saved us in such a remarkable way? And when I say worship, I mean not just sing songs as we did this morning, but how do we, in light of the gospel, worship God with our lives? That's where we're at in the book of Romans. How does our life become a, a, a demonstration or a display of the glory of God, that he would ultimately get what he wants, which is his glory, through us, displaying it in the way that we treat each other, in the way that we live. And so that brings us to Romans chapter 15, and uh, what, a, what an incredible passage. Um, so let's read it together, and then we'll pray. Romans 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we just ask you to take your word and speak to us. Help us to, to think deeply. Help us to not just be satisfied with ears being tickled or surface communication, but help us to dig into your word in a life-changing way. That you, through your word, through the scriptures that we have, God speaking to us in your word, that through that we would, we would value it, we would dig into it, and we would let your word create for us our value system by which we live. We're so easily, we confess, we are so easily oriented to the value system of our culture. And we ask that as we gather this morning, that you would reorient by your word 
what we care about, what we value, and how we live. Because you have spoken to us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You know, I was listening uh, this week to uh, a guy that I think a lot of people have been just kind of checking out and listening to. If you, if you kind of get lost in the spiral of YouTube videos, this is a possibility for you. Anybody with me sometimes? Uh, and I happened to click on, uh, actually someone I work with has sent, had sent kind of a, uh, one of those motivational uh, YouTube videos. Anybody ever watch that? And, uh, and so I, I, was, I was listening to it, and I was like, wow, this is interesting. This is pretty, pretty cool. And then I, I got lost in the spiral, right? Oh, here's the next one, and here's the next one. Here's the... But I came across this guy who I had seen before, and I had listened to before, and I, just, I, I, I was thinking about this passage, and I thought, how amazing. Simon Sinek. Anybody ever heard of Simon Sinek? Motivational speaker. Uh, he is a, a, one of those guys that they would call today an expert in leadership. Very entertaining to listen to. Um, really good communicator. He actually goes and he coaches, you know, massive, massive companies like Apple and Google. He's been there dealing with their leadership issues. He's a famous TED Talk speaker, and you, you can find him all over YouTube. And he's tapped into this remarkable, groundbreaking, revolutionary idea for leadership. It's unbelievable. He has tapped into this incredible new idea for leaders. Here's his premise. Good leadership in flourishing organizations serve others. And everybody goes, wow. <laughs> this is so new. This is so amazing. This guy is speaking all over the country. He is sitting in the boardrooms of the largest companies in the world. And here's what he's telling them. If you want your company to flourish, if you want people to want to work for you, to work their best, to do, to do uh, ex exceedingly above what you have just asked them to do in their job descriptions, what you need to do is you need to serve others. He says, if you want to lose weight, help someone else lose weight. If you want to be successful, help someone else be successful. If you want to find joy in your life, stop being totally consumed with your own life and look outside of yourself and serve others. And I want to tell you, it is flying all over YouTube, all over Fortune 500 companies are like, this is amazing leadership stuff. I wonder where this came from, this crazy idea. <clears throat> I think it's interesting to see our culture uh, today in reference to the way we live amongst each other and why many times the cultural value system has driven a sense of uh, depression, why our cultural value system has been a driving force behind all-time highs in anxiety medication, all-time highs in folks being depressed and, and, and struggling emotionally with so many things. And, and as we see the driving value system behind our culture, a lot of times what we see is what? Look out for number one, right? Do what makes you happy. Serve yourself. This postmodern, radical, individualistic idea that, that your self-identity, what you find inside of yourself, is the most important thing. And don't let anyone tell you how to be because you are who you are. Your truth is the most important thing. And it's driven a sense of depression and anxiety and difficulty. When we scramble back to the scriptures, we see 
God speaking to us about how he's called us as believers, as Christians, in light of the gospel, to live amongst one another. How God has, has called us in response to the gospel and in worship of God to, to deal with each other in the church. And Paul, in this particular passage, is dealing with an issue. And really, the commentators and, and theologians say this is probably one of the worst, um, one of the worst chapter breaks in, in the scriptures. You guys know that the, the chapters and verses aren't inspired they're not, uh, they weren't, they, <laughs> Mike's like, what? <laughs> Paul didn't write chapters and, and verses. This came later on in the, in the Middle Ages, uh, and, and they began to, to divide these into chapters and verses to be helpful for folks. But this was really just, the, the, book, the, the letter to the Romans, the book of Romans was just one long letter that Paul wrote to Rome. And so this, this, this chapter break in chapter 15 is really, folks say, eh, it's probably one of the worst ones, because you see an argument of thought that Paul is dealing with right through chapter 14 into chapter 15, at least down to verse 7, he's following the same train of thought. And for those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, the issue of the stronger and the weaker brother in, in the book of Romans, right? In chapter 14. And, and there was issues that Paul's dealing with in this church because there's conflict. How many of you guys know when you get, you get a group of people together, inevitably what's going to happen? conflict. There's going to be issues. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be uh, problems amongst people. And Paul's saying, in light of the gospel is the church, how do we display the glory of God? How do we deal with these issues and with these problems? What Paul was finding was, was arguments that were arising in the church because you had in, the, in, in Rome uh, Jewish believers who had been raised and come up through living according to Jewish law and who have now come to Christ and received Jesus as their Savior and, and been saved and redeemed. And then you have Gentiles who had really no reference for these law issues that the Jews have been living into their whole lives who have also come to know Christ and been saved. And they're living amongst each other. And so you see Paul listing a couple issues he was dealing with. They're talking about days that need to be observed, like the Sabbath. They're talking about eating meat and, and issues of eating and not eating. Should we eat meat that was sacrificed to idols and then sold in the marketplace? Or should we not eat it? Because as Jewish believers, we would never have eaten the meat that was sacrificed to idols. And, and, and Paul begins to articulate that some folks are still struggling through things and understanding the gospel. And so you have this group of stronger brothers and this group of weaker brothers. And how do they relate to each other? And Paul has been laying out stronger brothers through the end of chapter 14. You don't lord your freedom in Christ in, in, in pride. You don't, you don't display it in front of others in a way that would cause the weaker brother to stumble. And weaker brothers dealing with these legalistic issues in their mind that really have nothing to do with, with the gospel that they're holding other people to and saying, if God has in my life... Um, and in my relationship with him, called me to live in a particular way in regards to these secondary issues, whether it be food or drink or wine or observing days, then somehow it must mean everybody else needs to live the way God's called me to live. And ultimately, in chapter 14, Paul says this amazing thing. He says, listen, to your own Lord you stand or fall on these secondary issues, but I believe you will stand because Christ is your Lord. Amen? The implication. So there is a giving of each other the benefit of the doubt. And what we see here is a continuation of that argument. 
Look in verse 1. Hey, strong brothers, we who are strong have no obligation. I'm sorry, you have an obligation. <laughs> that would have been weird. End the, end the passage right there. You're good. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And do not please ourselves. Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So Paul, speaking to the stronger brother, he's saying, listen, you have an obligation. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have an obligation. You have a responsibility to bear with the weak. What does that look like? What does it look like for the stronger brother to bear with the weaker brother? And he kind of lays that out in verse 2. He says, your obligation, stronger, to bear with the weak is that you, you are not living in such a way as to please yourself, but you're living in such a way as to please your neighbor and to build them up as opposed to yourself. What an amazing principle. Revolutionary. You mean my whole life as a Christian isn't about making me happy. It's about my destiny. I have a destiny. Anybody remember that? I sat in youth conferences for 20 years. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And it seemed as though the only thing we wanted to talk about with teenagers was your destiny. God has a destiny for you. Here's what God wants to do with you. Here's how you're gifted. And I watched it, it, it being a part of youth ministry for now over 30 years and looking at the landscape of the church, I see a lot of those teenagers today totally walked away from the Lord because the gospel to them was about them. It was never about really what Jesus had done and called them to. Paul's saying, it's not about you. It's not about you pleasing yourself in temporal ways. But it's about serving your neighbor to build them up. What, a, what an amazing idea. That we would live in such a way that we would, as Tim Keller says, have an others-centered ethic. That as, as a follower of Christ, my life would be about laying it down, laying down my preferences, laying down what I desire to build up and to serve another. Well, that seems the antithesis of what would make me happy. You know what's interesting is you could really read this passage in such a way that when you serve others and find joy in it, you would feel like that was wrong. Oh, I'm too happy from serving others and God doesn't want me to please myself. That's not what this is saying at all. That's not what this is saying at all. The reality is, in the moment, in the temporal moment, it takes, we're going to see, endurance. It takes, it, it is difficult to lay down your preferences to serve another. That, that it's hard. That it, it's, it's difficult work. That it's not an easy thing to do. But ultimately, I think what we find, and it's the remarkable thing about the gospel and the way God works in our lives is that many times, maybe not always, but many times, there is a deeper joy to be had in life from serving others than there is from pursuing our own temporal happiness. So the strong have a responsibility and ob obligation to bear with the, the weak. And what that looks like is that you, you pursue your neighbor's good to build them up. Now listen... Again, this could be taken the wrong way. What Paul is not saying here is that the sole object of your life is to please man. 
He's not saying that, that our obligation is to live in such a way that we please others. I mean, look at Galatians 10.1. If you turn there for a moment, Galatians 10.1 is very clear about this. And so I think we have to remember our context. We have to remember the reality that we are, we're talking about secondary issues. We're talking about issues that, that are not ultimate issues, but they're secondary issues. Galatians 1.10, not 10.1, sorry. There is no Galatians 10. Some of you are like, what in the world? Galatians 1.10, for I'm not, for I am now, I'm sorry, for I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so you read Galatians 1.10 and you read this and you think, is there some sort of contradiction? And no, Paul in Galatians is dealing with gospel issues. Paul in Galatians is dealing with a, a tainting, a, a, a ruining or a, uh, a miscommunication of the gospel. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to preach the gospel faithfully because the object of my life is to please God and not man. I'm not pursuing to please man like, like Saul did and Samuel, that, that he was only looking for men to say he was okay, and he wasn't obeying God and what God had told him to do. But here, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about that ultimate issue of the gospel. What he's talking about here is in the way you live life in secondary issues, the way you live your life in regards to your preferences and your temporal happiness, you're supposed to, in light of the gospel, lay that down to serve others for the building up, for the good of your neighbor, right? John Calvin said it this way, if the only way to please your neighbor was to pursue evil, that's not what Paul's saying at all. Because it's not helping your neighbor, it's not building your neighbor up. It's not for his good. But in Romans 15, it's saying, for the good of your neighbor, to build your neighbor up in the gospel, you would lay down preferences, you would lay down your secondary freedoms that you have in Christ for the sake of your neighbor. And you would serve them in that way. Man, that's not easy. That is so countercultural. So countercultural. I mean, think about it in the context of marriage. How often do we hear in the context of, of our culture, this idea of marriage is, is about you being happy. And if they don't make you happy anymore, then what are you doing? Why are you even in this relationship? Because the whole purpose of this is your happiness. So if they're not making you happy today, then it's time to move on. That is absolutely opposite of the gospel. You're laying down your happiness. You're laying down your temporal desires. You're laying down your life for the good of your spouse, for the good of your neighbor, for the good of, of your brother or sister in Christ here. What, a, what, a, what, a, what an interesting way to live. What does that look like? How opposite that we're taught to value these things in our culture completely differently. I think our tendency and our sin is bent to look out for number one. I am certain that when I wake in the morning, my natural tendency, my natural bent is to make sure I'm comfortable. My natural tendency and my natural bent clearly is to make sure I'm fed well. <laughs> my natural tendency and my natural bent is to pursue my own interest and my own desires. How do I do this? Why would I do this? Why would I 
lay down my preferences for, for my neighbor. Verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, and he quotes here Psalm 69.9, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Christ. We see in the scriptures, Paul jumps right to the motivating factor of why we would lay our lives down. And he says, for Christ did not regard pleasing himself. For Christ did not please himself. But he took upon himself the reproach of others. We, we, we talked about this on Good Friday, the mocking of others, the insults of others. Christ took upon himself the burden of our sin. Christ took upon himself the, the reproach that we deserved. And so we see in our Savior, in light of the gospel, Jesus who came and who did not regard pleasing himself as the goal, but the goal was to serve others. What an incredible leadership Example. Now, now let, let us realize in light of the gospel, Jesus' example is unique and unrepeatable. And it is something that is so much more significant than anything we do because only he could provide for us salvation and redemption. Amen? But at the same time as our Lord and our Savior, he lays out for us an example in light of the power we have from him, through him, as we're in him. We have an ability to, to pursue the one who fulfilled the law. And as God writes the law in our hearts, we, we pursue acting like that. And what we see in him is an incredible example of self-sacrifice and leadership and laying down his life for others. The Bible says in Matthew that he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a sacrifice for many. And we see our Lord, we see Jesus as this incredible example of servant leadership, this incredible example of, of the one who is the fulfillment of the law. And in the way that he fulfilled the law, we see a, a God who is fully God and fully man, who gave up heaven to come incarnate, to be here, and then we see in him someone who laid their life down for others continually, took upon himself the reproach of man. What an incredible example of who he's called us to be in light of what he's done for us. Amen? Amen. Christ took upon himself the reproach of those. It fell on him, their reproach. He didn't please himself. He lived for others. What an ultimate example of others-centered living. How do we do this? Man, this is tough. I'm not wired this way. And I need God through his spirit who's redeemed me to begin to rewire me and reorient me. I need the scriptures to redo my value system, to rewire my value system. Paul says that here. As he's referencing the Old Testament scriptures, he doesn't know he's writing the New Testament, I don't believe at this time, but he references the scriptures, and he says in verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for your instruction, 
that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Amen? So you say to yourself, how do I live in such a way? Maybe you are struggling with depression. Maybe you are struggling with anxiety. Maybe you're struggling with purpose. Maybe Christianity for you this morning has maybe just kind of floated on the surface level of your life. You've come to meetings. You've been a part of worship services. Maybe at some point you've responded to the gospel and God's spoken to your heart. You've responded to the gospel. And you maybe in your walk with Christ have been kind of drinking the milk as the Bible describes it of the gospel and the milk of of what it means to follow Christ. And i got to be honest, there is an ability in American Christianity for all of us to stay right there. There really is. There's an ability to spend years and years and years there, going to kick and worship services, hearing good speakers, thinking through life lessons, acknowledging the idea that Jesus is my Savior, and never really engaging in response to the gospel, the fullness of the life that God has called you to have as a follower of Christ. And what God is calling us to is to stop, as our culture has identified for us, thinking on a surface level and never getting deep. And engaging the scriptures. And allowing this to say what it actually says. Not listening all the time to someone who came up with some cool, neat, self-help, life, Christian living concepts and threw a couple verses at it. But actually getting into the scriptures and, and going through an expository kind of way. What does it say to me? What did God actually mean when he inspired Paul to write this? That's why we do expositional preaching here at Renovation Church. Because if we only preach topically, you'd only get what Mike and I or whoever's preaching could come up with and throw some verses at. But when we go to the scriptures first to get the topics, because what God wants to say to us about life is already in here. I don't need to come up with a topic. And let it say what it says to me over the course of the scriptures. What did God really mean when he said this? Here's what you're going to find, because it says it right here in Romans 15. You are going to find endurance in life when it's difficult, and you will find encouragement. And Lord willing, can I tell you, Christian, you will find hope. It's in here. What is endurance? Endurance. Think of the athlete. Yesterday, I played my 15-year-old son in tennis. Let me tell you what I did not experience. Endurance. <laughs> I am not happy about him getting close to being able to beat me at stuff. And notice I said close, because he still can't beat me. <laughs> But by like the third set, no, third game, we only played one set <laughs> to six. By like the third game, there was a moment where in my mind, younger Jeremy 
was going to run across the court as he hit it to the left. And it was going to bounce. And I, by the time it came up, I was going to be there, right? With the speed that I have mentally, I was going to be across the court and I was going to hit it right back at him. And what I realized that the reality of me now at 43 years old got close to the ball, and, and he's still laughing about this, and as I reach for it, I can still tuck and roll. I tripped and just rolled. I am on a lot of ibuprofen this morning as I preach to you. <clears throat> but I know that, that if I was to do it again, and then again, and then again, then again, and again, and again, and again. When, when, when you stand up, anything is like this, and the, and the scriptures teach us this too, that, that the testing of your faith produces endurance, that difficulty produces endurance, consistency produces endurance. I, I, I have this idea that I could go to the gym, and once I go and I lift weights and I run on the treadmill for 20 minutes, I'm going to come out and be shredded, and that's not true. What is true is that if I went Monday, and I went Tuesday, and I went Wednesday, and I went Thursday, and I went Friday, and then I did it again, and then I did it again, and then I did it again, in six months, eight months, a year, I may be. I'd lose two pounds. <laughs> I'd feel so much better. The scriptures give us endurance to live the life that Jesus has called us to live. You see, if God's called you in response to the gospel to live a life that lays your life down for others, that is going to be difficult. It's not going to be as easy as living a selfish life. Selfish living is so much easier. You could live only pursuing your own desires, only pursuing your own self-interest, only pursuing your own temporal happiness. And what we know from scripture and what we know from reality is that uh, uh, consistently living a selfish life will not produce happiness, will not produce fulfillment, and will produce a lot of negative things in your life. But the idea that you would live in response to the gospel, a life that serves others, a life that lays down temporal happiness, a life that sacrifices and gives of yourself and cares more about your brother than you care about being right. That kind of life takes endurance. That kind of life takes encouragement. That kind of life takes a consistent Day after day after day after day, infusing of the word of God that provides for you a correct value system that enables you to live a life that God's called you to live. Amen? And when I'm not in the scriptures, my perspective shifts. When I'm not in the scriptures, my value system changes. When I'm not in the scriptures, I find myself weeks and months down the road thinking completely differently, thinking, man, it's my right to be this way. How could that person treat me that way? How could that person not understand what I meant? How could this go wrong at work? Don't I deserve this? Don't I deserve that? Don't I deserve this? How is it that the wicked, as the psalmist said in Psalm 73, how is it that the wicked are, 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 are flirting? And it seems as though I've kept myself holy in vain. And then I love what he says, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then my perspective shifted and I began to understand their end. That every step they take is like it's on a slippery rock. But God holds me. How do we get that perspective in the sanctuary? 
How do we get that perspective? In the scriptures? Paul didn't even have four gospels of Jesus to reference. Look at what we have. Encouragement and endurance in your life is going to come from a life buried in the word of God. Amen? Be like that tree in Psalm 1. Doesn't matter so much what's going on on the surface. What your leaves happen to look like today. What really matters is what's going on way down underneath that nobody sees. Under the surface. Roots that are buried so deep into that river of living water that regardless of the heat and the winter and the storms that are happening on the surface, what keeps you steady is what's happening down underneath. Where are your roots driven? Are they driven deep into that river of living water? The guy that looks like that tree is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Amen? Scriptures produce endurance. They produce encouragement. They produce hope. Not hope like, man, I really hope so. Biblical hope. My confident expectation is that God will do what he said he's going to do. Amen? I can give up this today because God's faithful. I can give up what I, I can, you know what? I worked really hard and I made this money and I'd really like to buy that thing, but I really feel like God wants me to give it here. And you know what? God's faithful. And that, that thing doesn't matter. What matters is what he's calling me to do here. You know, I'm gonna, I would love to just relax and just hang at home and just be with my kids and my family and, and not invite my neighbor over to spend time with us and to hear about Jesus. But God gave me this home so that I would lay down my preferences for others. And come on over for Thanksgiving. Come on over and spend some time with me because he's called me to lay my life down for my neighbor. Amen? I don't feel like it, but God's faithful, and I need to do it. Amen? You see this principle, this Christian principle laid out many times in the military. Actually, the guy I referenced, Simon Sinek's book that he came out with, it was, uh, it was called Leaders Eat Last. And this was the book that he came out with. And he got it from Lieutenant General George Flynn. And he said, what what is the principle in the military that causes you to be so strong? And that's what he said. He said, officers eat last. It's an idea of servant leadership, laying your life down. Navy SEAL Jocko Willink wrote a book about extreme ownership and leadership. One of the things that he said that motivates him when something's difficult he says, he says to himself, when something's really hard, he says, good. How simple is that? Good. Man, I am so tired, and I don't want to get up. Good. I'm going to do it anyway. I really want to eat that donut, but I can't. Good. This is really difficult to lift these weights. Good. We have so much more of a motivation than those things. We have so much more of a motivation. They're, they're, they're tapping into biblical principles, but they don't even get it. Some of them. Maybe some do. The reality of why this is good, let's look at it in the scriptures. And I'm going to close with this. 
The reality of why this is good is because we see in verses, let's read it, for whatever, in verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for instruction, endurance, through the encouragement of the scriptures that we may have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement, he turns into a prayer here. This is a benediction. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. Here it is, verse 6. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Why do we do this? Ultimately, glory of God. Why would we lay our lives down and our preferences down for others? Glory of God. Why would I give of myself when I worked really hard to earn all this stuff I got? It's all his anyway. Glory of God. My life, the pursuit and the object of my motivation in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is one thing and one thing only. He would be glorified. His name would be made great. Not mine, not anyone else's, not Renovation Church, that Christ would be glorified. He would be glorified in us. He will know you are my followers, John 13, 35, by your love for one another. How are they going to know we follow Jesus? How is his name going to be made great? How is his name going to be glorified? By the way we serve and love each other. He gets the glory. Culturally all over, particularly in the United States of America, we are struggling and struggling and struggling with men versus women gender issues. God gets glory when Christians responding to the gospel serve each other. We're struggling with race. God gets glory when Christians in response to the gospel serve each other, regardless of gender, regardless of race. We love each other. Why? Because God created us. We're made in his image. Amen? Last thing I'm going to say is verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How do we welcome each other? Think about how Christ has welcomed you. In my rebellion, in my rejection of him, in my selfishness, Christ welcomed me. Those of you who are strong in the gospel, and you see that person and you think, I don't want to put up with that. Welcome one another. What do you mean? The way Christ has welcomed you. Oh, well, wait a minute. I think I do need to welcome others who I might not want to be around, who might seem weaker, who might have as... as Others have put it, these ideas and these scruples, that these, these secondary issues that they care so much about that don't matter. Well, that's okay. I'm going to welcome you like Christ has welcomed me. What about when they yell and scream and, and disappoint and kick? Welcome them. I love how Chris Davidson was talking about doing ministry in Mayor Kinch. Sometimes when you're holding your toddlers and they're screaming and they're kicking and, and you're trying to adjust them and get them to do something for their good because you love them and you don't want them to get hurt. You don't want them to touch the stove. You don't want them to run into the road. And while you're holding on to them, they are swinging. And you're going to take a couple shots. You're going to take a couple hits in your love and in your giving to that 
person. Think of my friend Bernie, one of the elders here at Renovation. What an example of the gospel. Their fourth child had Down syndrome. Am I right in saying fourth? What a beautiful little boy he is. You want a hug? You got to hug this kid. He's unbelievable. And I watched Bernie and Kristen enter into a community of folks that had Down syndrome kids. And now they have adopted, they have eight, nine, nine children, many of whom have more severe disabilities than their biological child. That's in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is laying down. Him and Christian are literally laying down their lives for, for those who are in need and who are weaker. Why? Because they're welcoming those children into their home the way Jesus Christ welcomed them. And they know it. And people would say, Kristen, how do you do it? Bernie, how do you do it? I see such a joy in their lives. I know people. I know people that live, that have four homes, an airplane, and every car you could ever imagine. I would take the joy in Bernie's life any day over any of that stuff. What a powerful principle, amen, from the word of God in Romans 15. Let's pray. As we pray, let me just be careful in saying, if God has blessed you, Financially, I'm not downing that. If you have four houses and a plane, here's the issue. Does God have your heart? And are you living with an open hand and giving in the way that Christ would give? I hope God blesses so many of you. To what end? That you would give to the glory of God, that he would be glorified. And if you're not blessed financially, there's so many other ways God has blessed us. Amen? And what is he calling you to do with the little? Live with an open hand. To what end would you give the little that you have to the glory of God? That he would be glorified. And just know this. In response to the gospel, as you live your life for the good of others and not to please yourself, he will uphold you. He will take care of you. He will hold you, as we sang this morning, because he's faithful. Amen? Lord, help us. Help us to orient our lives to your word. Only you can do this in us. By your spirit, seal, seal it in our hearts. Write it in our hearts. Change us, change our desires, change our, our ability to, to follow your example. 
We confess this morning in so many ways, so many different ways. We're all weak in this, and we need your strength, because where we're weak, you're strong. We confess that, that we often live lives that are selfish. We recognize that that's easier, and God, we pray that your scriptures would produce in us endurance and encouragement and hope to live the life that you've called us to live for the good of others and not to please ourselves. Let this church, Renovation Church, be an example of redeemed people who live their lives for others. Let this church be an example of of stronger followers of Christ who lay their lives down for weaker brothers and sisters. Let this church be marked by its love for others in need. Help us to give and live with an open hand. Help us to live with an others-centered ethic. Don't let us be consumed and fall into ourselves with selfish desires and objectives, but help us to look to you, as Chris preached last week, to look outside of ourselves to you and to see how you would call us to serve others. Let that be the mark of our lives. Let it be the mark of our church. Because of your gospel and for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said.